scripture reading for today is 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 18. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some, letters of commendation to you or from you? You are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of commendation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in the, this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we use gratefulness in our speech, and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not, look direct, would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened, for, for until this very day, Old Covenant, the same veil remains because it is rem, removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3, 1-18. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have now to look into your word. I pray that you would be with our pastor as he uh, brings this message. pray the Holy Spirit would be active in our, our minds and our hearts. Father, I pray that... Uh, these truths that we hear this morning would uh, would change lives. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. We have come to a point of transition in our study in Romans. We are moving from the subject of condemnation, which has been from the middle of chapter 1, all the way to verse 20 in chapter 3. So every Sunday you've been coming during our study in Romans and being getting hit and hit and hit and hit 28 times with condemnation. Now that's hard for us to take. Well, the day has come. We are now moving on from condemnation to the answer. By the way, the gospel message, when you share it with a person, you have to get to condemnation. Now, admittedly, you don't have to start there, but you have to somewhere in your presentation of the gospel, you got to talk about condemnation. You have to. Because without condemnation, there is no need for a hope to be rescued or redeemed. So you got to start the gospel there or deal with it somewhere in your presentation. Um, Yesterday, I was cleaning up around church, and I 
got the wheelbarrow over here and I moved it back over across the cement there back behind the shed. Now, it wasn't too big a deal. I did it. I made it. No crashes, no burns. But could you imagine if I was on a tightrope, let's say above a, a river from one peak of the canyon to the other peak of the canyon, and I was taking a wheelbarrow across full of bricks on that tightrope. Pretty good trick, huh? If I made it all the way across, turned around, made it all the way back, I would expect from you to get woohoo. And when I drop my load out of the wheelbarrow, all the bricks, and say to you, why don't you jump into the wheelbarrow and I'll take you across the tightrope to the other side and back again. Oh, I see some nods the wrong way. What would it take you to get in that wheelbarrow? <laughs> you would have to trust me. You would have to trust me. And your trust, by the way, would not be half-hearted. It would be completely, totally trustworthy. You would have to believe that I could do it. You would have to place your faith in me that I will do it. You would have to trust me with every step I take on that tightrope, wouldn't you? Now, of course, I couldn't get some of you into the wheelbarrow. But if I can take bricks over, I should be able to take you over. This is the issue that Paul now gets to. We're going to start with the solution to the problem that he's been talking about from chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through chapter 3, verse 20, and all the condemnation because of sin, because of your sin nature, because of your sinful actions, all the problems you have will be answered today. I thought I'd get a little wahoo about that. Here you go. Thank you, a little late. What is the only answer to a person's sinful actions, sin nature, that are in a state of being that is contrary to actions and nature of God? What is the problem? What is the solution? What is the answer to the question of all questions? The question that everyone has. What is the answer? Verse 21. Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The answer to the problem is not difficult. If I asked you to shout it out loud, you would be able to say it, and you would see it in verse 21, and you would say, it's the righteousness of God. Now, today, 
we're not going to hit many ideas or theories or things you've never thought of. We're going to talk about the basics of how to be saved. You have to understand that your sin nature, your sinful actions will not save you. It, doing any good thing will not save you. Being a moral person or a religious person, you will not be saved. The only way you can be saved is by having the righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God has been manifest to you. It has been shown to you. It has been given so you can identify with it. We have been given by God an answer to our problem. And it comes apart from the law. It comes from apart from everything in the Old Testament and apart from every ethical methods of living that you can devise. The righteousness of God cannot be earned by keeping the law or any other ethics. The righteousness of God is not a system of laws or ethics, but the character that's revealed in the life of obedience lived by Jesus Christ. Righteousness. This righteousness is not coming from you. This righteousness is impossible for you to earn or deserve. This righteousness is given as a gift from God to you. Philippians 3.9 says, And that me may be found in him, that's Jesus Christ, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. It has been manifest. You have been given the example by the life of Jesus Christ of the righteousness of God and what God desires for you. The answer to all your problems, that righteousness that's actually been given to you through the Old Testament, it reveals it, shows it, witnesses that you can see God's righteousness. And he wants that righteousness for you. Now, before we talk about how you get this righteousness, we try to talk about the problem you have. Here you go. Why? Why does a sinner need the righteousness of God to be imputed to his account? Why do you need the righteousness of God to be imputed to you? <clears throat> verse 22. At the end of verse 22, notice what it says. There is no distinction. I like that. In other words, there's no difference between one person and another. There's no difference between one sinner and another sinner. There's no good sinners and bad sinners. There are only sinners. There are no believers there are no saints that are good saints and bad saints. You're either a saint or you're a sinner. There's no distinction. We're all under sin, and we all can have the ability to place our faith in Jesus Christ. 
No one's good enough to be saved, and no one's evil enough that you cannot be saved. Pastor said. That was good. Verse 23. For all... Let me say that again. For all have sinned. For all have sinned. Now, I want to get grammatical with you for just a moment here because you got to see the differences in what he's saying here about the problem. The first problem you have is your sin nature. Your sin nature. Because of your sin nature, you need the righteousness of God. Because of your sin nature, you cannot earn or deserve the righteousness of God. A person's sin nature is a state of being that's contrary to the nature of God. The nature of God is righteous. This term, written this way in an aorist tense, it's a verb talking about sin, talking about a state of being that you are in because of sin, the nature you have backwards to a point in time. And point that to, well, you point maybe to your birth. Well, probably before that, you point to your father. Maybe beyond that, you point to your grandfather. Maybe your great-grandfather. Maybe your great-great-grandfather. Maybe, 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 let's get to Adam. Adam, if you remember, was placed in a garden which was perfect. And he was told by God the responsibilities he had in that garden. He had responsibilities over the animals, over the plants, over the trees. He had responsibilities. And he was told there was one thing for him not to eat. And guess what he did? His wife was deceived by the serpent, but he willfully chose to sin. Because of that, he was kicked out of the garden, was not allowed to the tree of life, and life for all of us has been problemed ever since. He had a couple of sons, and one of them, well, both of them, had a sin nature. One of them actually killed his other brother. You know Genesis. You know the Old Testament. You know that people have sin natures. I remember when my kids were little and they would sin. Nobody taught them how to sin. It came by their nature. Sin nature will never, never never allow you to earn the righteousness of God. That's problem number one. But there's good news or bad news, depending on how you look at it. You have two problems. Look at the end of verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You have a second problem here. Not only do you have a sinful nature, but you also have sinful actions. Sinful actions. This word, and again, I don't want to get too grammatical on you, but this word is not aorist tense. This is present tense. You are continually in a state of falling short of the glory of God. You, every day, wake up 
And if you think of yourself with a clean slate, it doesn't take you too long before you fall short of the glory of God. Because of your sin nature, you have a desire for sin, which does not satisfy, by the way, and you will fall short of the glory of God. Sinful actions. Present tense. Written passively, by the way, so that you do it automatically. (laughs) Continually. You fall short every day. Even when you don't try, you fall short. Literally, you're the last to deserve the righteousness of God. Literally, you are last in regarding the glory of God. You are last in line. Sin nature may go back to Adam and his sin, but you sin every day. So you can blame Adam, but you can also blame yourself. In other words, you are covered in two layers of sin. Now, I will admit, in the last sermon and in the three sermons in May, I messed up because I always put the question the way I thought it should go by talking about sinful actions and then the sin nature. You have my permission to go back and change all those sermons and rewrite it. Sin nature and then sinful actions. Because that's how Paul writes it here. He starts with the sin nature, aorist tense, and then he talks about your sinful actions falling short, present tense. If I only read ahead. We fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God. Now what comes to your mind when I say glory of God? I have a like gazillion things I think of. The glory of God. And I read books this week about the glory of God. And I got, guess what? Gazillion of different answers. (sighs) I got one that thinks of the glory of God almost as a physical thing. I got another that talked about how a sinner cannot match up with the glory of God. I got another that thought the glory of God meant something like having a good opinion or praise from God. I don't know. But I would think more... The glory of God is the outward evidence of His attributes being seen by us. That attributes of God we fall short of every day when we sin. Every day when we sin. Now, I need to tell you about Farha. Okay? Farha was a skinny little guy. I could pick him up with one arm. He was about... Two inches shorter than me, so he's about 5'9". He he probably weighed 100 pounds. But you give him a basketball, and he becomes a maniac. I played basketball against him. And I would always, always, always pick somebody else to guard. I would never pick Farha. Farha got a college, a major college, and played basketball. He then got hired by the Harlem Globetrotters to play in the Washington general team. He was good, and he was fast, and he thought the goal of basketball was to make a layup. 
So that's what he tried to do. Anybody would guard him. He would try to go this way, that way around, and eventually make a layup. That was his goal. When I guarded him, which was rare, when I guarded him, he got to the three-point line. I backed up like 10 feet. I wanted him to shoot it from out there because we have a better chance of getting the ball instead of when he makes a layup. And when he moved towards me at the speed of light, I had at least one step to move before somebody behind me had to pick him up, one of the taller guys. He was good. And if the measure of playing basketball was Farha, guess who would never play basketball? Me. That is how it is with the glory of God. Glory of God is so beyond us, we can't match up. We fall short. We fall short. Every day you wake up, you may think you have a clean plate, and you say, boy, today I'm going to do the righteousness of God, but we all fall short. Like playing basketball against Farhad. Sin considers God and His glory. Instead of loving God's glory and treasuring God's glory, sin exchanges God's glory for something sinful. And we do it every day. God cannot acknowledge a moral person or an open sinner or a rebellious sinner to be saved. Now, I want to go down a rabbit trail real quick. The glory of God... Here is the amazing thing. Without the Holy Spirit, you fall short of the glory of God. Listen to this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14. It was for this He called you through our gospel. So you got the gospel message. When you accept the gospel message, you put your faith in God. Guess what happens? That you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You fall short of the glory of God without the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes in you, you gain the glory of Jesus Christ. Woo! Turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's go down this road just a little bit further. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where our scripture reading was. Let's, let's go down the road of glory. Here you go. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're on the road of glory. Here you go. You, if by the way, if you don't have your faith in Jesus Christ, you've never been saved, not indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the chapter 3 talks about you being veiled. You being veiled. In other words, you pretend to be righteous. You pretend to be something that you're not, and you're veiled. But if you have accepted Christ, you are, notice the last verse, verse 18. But we, I like that, Paul puts himself in the place of the Corinthians, we all with unveiled faces, in other words, we don't have to veil our face, we're not hiding our, our non-glory, we are presenting who we really are, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We have in the mirror the glory of the Lord. We reflect the glory of the Lord because of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We reflect the glory of Jesus Christ. 
And guess what happens? We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Each day. Oh, I got to go slow. Each, this is incredible. You, when you accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit, you then are on the glory road, and you are seeing the glory of God. You see the glory of God. How do you see the glory of God? Well, you see it by the Holy Spirit working fruit out of you. You see it by the Holy Spirit making the Bible alive to you. You see yourself by the power of the Holy Spirit putting the promises of the Word of God into your life and the commands of the Bible into your obedience. And the glory of Jesus Christ is in you. You have an unveiled glory of God. And each day formed. Metamorphosis. That's where the word comes from. You are changed each day. You're like glory this way and then the next day you're glory that way. Your glory is being transforming you. It changes who you are and how you live. Each day is new and exciting. We don't get up trying to do good things. We get up and we get to be on glory road and more glorified than we were the day before. And it will continue until we get to heaven and we do the second Thessalonians thing and we become joined with the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you do not have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you fall short every day of the glory of God. And you have nothing to do with the glory of God. You have a veil over your faith. You may pretend like you have the glory of God, but you don't. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have glory. Now, some of you are bright. And some of you are brighter. I want all of you to be the brightest. I want this church, my desire, my reason I exist is so that this church would be the most glorious place made up of members who are glorious. So glorious. God's got to call you home. Man. Something for a non-believer that's impossible is possible for a believer. Turn back to Romans chapter 3. Now we've got to talk about the how. We'll go quickly over these. What do we have? Five answers? We'll go quickly over these five answers because the rest of Romans is going to deal with these five answers, okay? Uh, we're, not going to, we're not going to dig deep in any of these answers. You may think I'm glossing over them, that I don't think they're important, but the rest of the book will be over these five things, okay? Matter of fact, the verses we're covering today, I could have spent eight weeks preaching on. Easy. Easy. Here you go. How? How is the righteousness of God imputed to a sinner? How? Look at verse 22. 
even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Through faith in Jesus Christ. That's a noun. That's pistis, noun. It is the way to have the righteousness of God. Number one, by saving faith. You have to believe, you have to trust the gospel message. You have to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that God pro provided a way for you to be saved and redeemed, that you can be saved. You believe it, you trust it. You heard the gospel, you respond, you repented of your sins. You were saved by faith. Pistis. Pistis. You're saved by faith. I have a cup in my office. It's called my Bubba cup. I call it the Bubba cup because it's written on it, it says Bubba. Okay? It's my Bubba cup. And my Bubba cup, I love my Bubba cup because I can put ice in it. And, well, matter of fact, I put ice in it yesterday and I had ice still this morning. It keeps my ice because you have to have ice. When you're drinking caffeinated, decaffeinated Diet Dr. Pepper. Okay, the best drink ever in the universe. Here you go. You have to have diet, caffeine-free Dr. Pepper in a Bubba cup. You have to. You have to. To be able to make it cold all day long, it's good. Now here you go. Hang with me. The Bubba cup is your faith. The Bubba cup is your faith. And what really is important is not necessarily the cup, but you have to have the cup. But what's really important is the caffeine-free diet Dr. Pepper. Because that's what you want. And that is not your faith. That is Jesus Christ. So you have to have faith, and you have to have Jesus Christ. You have to have both. You have to have Jesus Christ and you have to have faith. And if you have Jesus Christ and you have faith, you have saving faith. And you will be saved. Saving faith connects a person to the righteousness of God. Saving faith is placing your trust and being totally submissive to Jesus Christ. Saving faith is a state of mind whereby we believe the promises of God. Saving faith is everything you need. Second, and even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For all those who believe. Number two, you have to have the righteousness of God imputed to you by living faith. By faith. What I mean by that, action faith, is what you do by faith, how you grow in faith, how you live every day in faith. What that faith is, is what you do. And when you do it, you're displaying your faith. The word here, the Greek word, is <laughs> pastuo. Not pistis, pastuo. This is the action of you living your faith. You live your faith, you take the promises of God's word, you live it. That is pastuo. You believe it. You live it. It is a present tense active verb where you believe. And that believe means you believe it. You could translate it this way in the Fabaris International Version. For all, upon all, those believing. You could emphasize the all. 
all of those believing. Everyone who is apart from Jesus Christ is equally sinful and rejected. Everyone who's in Jesus Christ is equally righteous and accepted by Him. You are saved. You're saved by your saving faith. You're saved by your living faith. And both of them go together. That's why Paul put them there. Pistis and Pistuo. He put them in the same phrase. He's not trying to say the same thing. He's trying to make sure you understand the place of being and your daily actions. It's kind of the same thing as sin. Notice that? You sin, eris tense, point in time. You have faith, point in time. You have falling short, a daily present thing you do. You have belief, believing, daily present tense. You have a comparison. You have two layers that keep you away from the righteousness of God. You have two ways of acceptance where you are in the righteousness of God. You have faith and a sin nature. You have believing. You have sinful actions. You have the way to be saved. Number three. Verse 24. Being justified. Being justified. How is the righteousness of God imputed to a sinner? Number three, by the perfect work of God the Father. By the perfect work of God the Father. Make sure you put the word perfect in there. Don't get the editorial on me. Perfect work of God the Father. Being justified. Being justified. Here is how you get righteous. You are declared righteous. It's passive. You cannot be justified by you doing something. It's done to you. Present tense. Constantly being declared righteous. You are declared righteous. The sinner is not hopelessly lost in his sin, but he has a way out. God's work of justification. You are justified. Pastor put it this way. Justification is God's declaration that all the demands of the law are fulfilled on behalf of the believing sinner through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's good. I like that. Through the work of Jesus Christ, you are justified and declared righteous. God the Father is the just and the justifier. We'll learn later in Romans. We will understand justification. By the way, more next week than this week. We're touching on it now. But you have to be justified. Fourth, verse 24, as a gift by His grace, as a gift by His grace, how is the righteousness of God imputed to a sinner? Number four, <laughs> by the perfect love of God. By the perfect love of God. By the perfect love of God. This is great. We have the goodness of God that loves you. The love of God gives you grace. Grace is blessings poured upon you. You are <laughs> given grace because of the love and goodness of God. You are given every blessing you'll ever need by the perfect love of God, by His grace. God declares a sinner as if he were completely righteous, 
righteous just out of his goodness and out of his blessing. God's grace heals, comforts, and renews the sinner. The free grace of God is the source of justification. You are graced by the love of God. Okay, let's pretend. Let's pretend. I go out shopping this week, and I want to get a romantic gift for my wife. Okay? So, I'm thinking through. She doesn't like flowers, so I won't get her flowers. But I'm thinking through what to get her. And I go, and I get her, uh, let's say, let's say uh, an exercise bike. Let's say, no, let's say uh, a vacuum cleaner. Why not? Well, yes, I might get in trouble. Yeah, there you go. An automatic expensive. Okay. Do you understand? That's not romantic. God's love for you is loving and good. He does not give you something that you have to work with or work for. God gives you everything you need by His grace. You have every blessing you need. By the blessing of grace, you have justification, you have redemption, you have everything you need. You have saving faith, you have living faith, you have every promise in the Bible, you have everything good for you. Grace is the love or goodness that you get from somebody who owes you nothing. Who owes you nothing. Number five. Verse 24. Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. How is the righteousness of God imputed to the sinner? Number five. By the perfect ransom of the Messiah. By the perfect ransom of the Messiah. Through redemption, which is in Jesus Christ. Redemption brings to mind the picture of slavery. You are a slave to sin. You are bought out of that slavery to sin. You are redeemed. The ransom has been paid. And the payment is the blood of Jesus Christ. His work on the cross redeems you, ransoms you out of the slavery to sin. God declares a sinner as if he's completely righteous just out of the goodness of God's blessing, but salvation comes with a price, the blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, the idea of redemption or deliverance is released by a payment of a ransom. The ransom is your sin, and you can't pay for it. You can't get rid of your sin nature. You can't get rid of your sinful actions. Even after you're saved, you still battle with the flesh. You need a Savior to redeem you, to ransom you. Redemption comes by the work of Jesus Christ and only by His work. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says, In Him we have redemption, same root word, through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Riches of His grace. Notice Christ Jesus at the end of the verse. He's emphasizing the Messiah, that he's Messiah. The Messiah, the promised one in the Old Testament, comes to redeem you. And all you got to do is place your faith in the Savior. Saving faith, living faith, the perfect work of God the Father, the love of God. You got 
the redemption, ransom paid by the Messiah. You have it all. If that does not give you something to praise this week, hmm. Application. What sense does it make? Will I daily be thankful for the love of God to declare me righteous through the perfect work of Jesus Christ? Will I daily be thankful for the love of God to declare me righteous through the perfect work of Jesus Christ? And the thing that stops you is your love for sin. You're trying to please your sin nature and your pride. The gift is offered. Will you take it? If you do, it's the solution to the first three chapters of Romans. You are justified. You have living faith. You have saving faith. You have everything you need the grace of God and if you have the grace of God you should be more thankful this week than you were last week Father I thank you for this time in your word thank you Father for your truths of this passage thank you Father for the transition it makes in Romans thank you Father for the word, but changing directions that we go based upon your work. We thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you, Father, for the gift of saving faith. We thank you, Father, for the gift of living faith. We thank you, Father, for the gift of justification. We thank you, Father, for the gift of grace. We thank you, Father, for your work of your Son in redeeming us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I pray that we would be thankful that we're on a glorious road being transformed into the glory of Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.